Are we doing all right today? Amen. All right, just stand up with me one more time. Lift up your hands. Say, Lord, prepare my heart. Speak to me. Remove distractions. Make this word mine. Not my spouse's. Not the person that should have been here. Make it applicable to me. Reveal to me, Holy Spirit, the truths of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I trust you all uh, are ready. Go ahead, take a seat, grab your Bibles, find yourself in the book of Mark. We're going to look at the Gospels here, and um, they have given me a clock. I got to get ready. Y'all looking very beautiful this morning. I just got to say that before I go any further. I am blessed to pastor a church of beautiful people. Praise God. This is awesome. I think I need to keep up with some of y'all. Y'all looking way too good this morning. Um, Have you ever heard of this expression, the the dog days of summer? Anybody? Lift up your hands. The dog days of summer. I've heard that thing and I'm like, what the hell? I don't even have a dog. I've never had a pet. So I'm like, I don't understand the reference. The dog days of summer. According to the old farmer's almanac, the Greeks and, and ancient Romans, they used to believe that the dog days... To, to be a time, a reference to some misfortunate time that plagued people in summertime with drought and incredibly high temperatures. And because of that, it brought unrest to animals, to people. It brought people to the breaking point, oftentimes. It made people mad, okay? Drove them crazy because of the unbearable temperatures. The heat, the humidity, and all that wonderful stuff. Some of you parents are experiencing some, you know, hot, mad days, some madness now that VBS is over and you're thinking, how am I going to keep these kids entertained all day long? You know, what am I going to do? I got to go back to my regular routine of figuring out how to keep them safe at home and occupied and, and, and taking care of things while I have to go. Summer introduces hot weather, changes in rhythm, um, you know, different flows, uh, some new challenges that we have to adjust to and deal with. Um, but considering summer, and I'm like, why, why does it make us sweat so much? Does all of it have to make us sweat? And I don't think it does. I think summer can be a time that you can also prepare for the fall and prepare for the new school year students. That you're not just, you know, vegging out in front of Netflix and and wasting away on video games. Or you're just trying to keep up and keep the kids alive, parents, and try to figure out as you do work and and deal with the house. But summer can also be a time of refreshing. And so today we're we're beginning a series that we're calling the Summer Upgrade. Say Summer Upgrade. Let's upgrade our summer. Today we're talking about navigating life's waters. Let's let navigate life's waters. We're going to focus on a couple of things. So these next couple of weeks, I want us to take a look at some life skills and some improvement areas, things that we can learn and grow based on the scriptures that can elevate our game in the summertime, prepare us for the fall and get us ready to, to go out there when things start to take a better semblance of, of, of routine again, that we hit the ground running 
and that we're advancing. Uh, how many of y'all have, have realized that we're supposed to go from glory to glory? Is that, is that something that you've read in your scriptures? We go from glory to glory. That means that we should be getting better. Say, I must upgrade. I've got to get, if you're not growing, you're dying. There's no standing still here. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to progressing in life, there is no stagnating. Okay, we're just, we're deteriorating. We're not just staying the same. We have to improve. And so if you grab your Bibles, go and make your way over to uh, the Gospel of Mark. Find yourself in chapter 4. Today I want us to take a look at upgrading something called our emotional intelligence. Someone say amen. You know, I, I talk to people, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to students and to young adults and talking to parents, and, you know, I find some, some common themes and some things, and, and this was definitely one of them. I, I think that God wants us to elevate our game when it comes to emotional intelligence. You know, as you're finding your scriptures, you know, think of Tina, for example. Tina is nobody in the congregation, so don't get worried that I'm singling somebody out. Tina is a persona. Someone say persona. Tina. She's a, you know, college student who is known for being insensitive and tactless in her interactions with others. She is, you know, often making inappropriate jokes. And Tina goes about life being and making insensitive comments without realizing their impact on people. She doesn't understand that those around her are not being edified, but they're actually being turned off. And as a result, she faces difficulties in forming relationships in developing a community and she does not have the empathy that she needs in order to have meaningful relationships does this sound familiar you know think of james again not someone in our church but james a middle-aged father who has difficulty understanding and expressing his emotions hello he avoids discussing his feelings with his wife and his children because he fears that doing so is a sign of weakness. And so James doesn't speak to his family, and consequently, his family members feel disconnected. They feel like, you know what, um, we, we just don't get you. You're just, you know, outbursting on us, and, 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 and you don't care for us. And so there's misunderstandings that arise in his home, in his marriage, in his parenting. See, because James has emotional barriers that lead to very strained communication and unresolved conflicts and a lack of emotional support within his family. And so it affects the very sense of their unity, the very sense of their belonging as a family. Is this sounding familiar, church? God wants us to elevate and upgrade. Just like a skilled sailor needs to know how to navigate storms at sea, we have to learn how to overcome life's waters and challenges with essential tools. And so if you're there, find yourself in Mark chapter 4. I want you to take a look. We're going to anchor our thoughts this morning on this scripture, pull some things. We'll see how far we go, and, and maybe I'll give you some more keys and, and, and answers down the road here. But um, Mark chapter 4, if you're there, say amen. Whether you got your paper Bible, electronic Bible, just make sure you're on the Bible, all right? If you're not using your phones for a Bible or notes, then may the Lord set that thing on fire uh, in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 4, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. 
and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Just, just a side note before we go any further. You're not going to hear about these other boats ever again. So, so let me just give you something real quick here because some of you guys are dealing with people and you need to elevate your, your, your knowledge also of the scriptures. This book is a reliable book. It was inspired by the word of God. It was breathed out by God. He inspired men with their agency, with their personalities, with their intellect. And he spoke his words revealed to men and it is God-breathed, infallible, inerrant. See, when you're fabricating a story, you don't give irrelevant details. But this reads like someone's memory. How many times have you like shared a story with somebody and you're recounting an experience or a memory or a situation and then you say things and then they're like, okay, but why'd you tell me this? Well, what does that have to do with the end result? And we're like, oh no, it was just part of the thing. I just remember that. So I said this. Anybody ever do that before? Like it has no bearing on the final result of your story, but you just went off on a rabbit trail and you started talking about something. See, the gospel writer is expressing eyewitness testimony. This is a reliable, and especially in light of what you're going to find in this text, this is important. So that was a freebie. It has nothing to do with my sermon. I just went on a tangent, but let's keep going. Um, there were other boats with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, he being Jesus. Asleep on a cushion. We know there's boats. We know what's happening. We know why. We know where they were going. We know that there's many boats. We know where Jesus is. Oh, and by the way, he's not just sleeping, he's got a cushion. Details. There's details of someone's memory eyewitness account, okay? I hope you're getting this. And Jesus is asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? that we are perishing. Folks, as we navigate life and we deal with elevating our game, growing in our summer experience, growing in our corporate experience, growing in our professional experience, we need this thing called emotional intelligence, self-awareness. These are critical tools if we're going to progress and grow. And one of the first things that we need to understand if we are going to elevate our game is that we need to acknowledge the reality of our feelings. We need to acknowledge We need to acknowledge the reality of our feelings. See, the disciples, okay, th this opens up. It's been a long day of ministry. Jesus has been speaking, teaching. He's been meeting people and healing them. It tells us in the word that he was going around doing good and healing all. He was doing all of these things in front of the disciples in their purview. They are seeing this. They are being uh, invited into the process. And Jesus works like nobody else. He is busy. It's been a long day. And after, he doesn't even step out of the boat. He doesn't say, let's dock on shore. Let's go get some food. Let me, like, catch my breath. He says, guys, I am done. Like, right here, right now, let's not even go on shore. Take me to the other side. He's done ministry here on this west, um, western side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to go eastbound now. He's got other ministry to deal with over there. But he's like, let's not waste any time. Let's go right now. And he starts 
the journey with the disciples. They are going over to the other side. And surely there's things awaiting them. And there's, you know, uh, immediately a storm that rises up. A storm that shows up on the scene. And these guys are caught. I don't know if you, how many people here have ever gone to Israel? Anybody, let's show a hands, raise your hands really high. All right, we've got a few people, all right? I've had the privilege of going as well. When you realize when you're at the Sea of Galilee that the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It's at the basin of, of a valley, okay? And um, there are hills, and off to a side, there's Mount Hermon. There, there are mountains and hills surrounding it. So what happens in that region of the world is when the cool air comes down from the hills and comes down off Mount Hermon, and it goes and it meets the warm air of the Sea of Galilee. It is hot in Israel. One of the days that I was there it was 114 degrees. Somebody say hallelujah for AC. So when that cold air meets that warm air, immediately it's the ripe conditions for a storm to brew. And this would happen suddenly. It would happen often. It was a common thing. And it would happen especially in the evenings. And so Jesus, who is not a fisherman, but who is of the region, who understands the region, still has an assignment. He tells the disciples, we got to go to the other side. The disciples, who some of which are fishermen, are, you know, aware of the conditions of the Sea of Galilee, they go along with Jesus and Jesus saying, this isn't my forte. This isn't my area of expertise. Yes, I've, 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 you know, I'm the image of the invisible God the firstborn out of all creation, as Paul tells us in his letters. Um, but Jesus says, I'm not a fisherman. Y'all take care. I'm taking a nap. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. He's tired. He goes to sleep. And he lets the capable men who know what they're doing go and lead them to the other side. The storm comes upon them. And I want you to understand and picture these guys. They are right now in a storm that's raging. There's violent winds coming all around them. Violent storms are rising around them. And these guys are seeing water lap into the boat. They are looking out there and they don't see a nice, you know, landscape and scenery. They are afraid. Water's coming in. They're being tossed up and down as the, as the swells come in and out. It's not a pretty sight. And if you guys get seasick, okay, this is when you would get seasick because they are not, you know, operating a cruise ship where you barely feel the thing moving. These guys are in about a 26-foot boat. They found one in the 1980s uh, that's dated back to the time of Christ. And it's a replica of what they believe Jesus was in with the disciples. It fits about 15 people max. And it has a deck and uh, a stern down below. And so it makes sense. These are archaeological finds that corroborate facts. One more time. I'm trying to get you to get this. And so these guys are afraid. And to make matters worse, Jesus whom they have seen do incredible, mighty, crazy, amazing miracles, is asleep. How many of y'all would feel very 
comfortable in this moment. Let me see, because I need to sit next to you and rub off some of that faith. I need, I need that to grow inside. How many of y'all, let's be real and shame the devil, you would be right there like I see some of you when we went on the DR trip. The minute that plane starts to move, oh, Jesus, have mercy. God, help us. Lend us safely. God, take us. Let us not hit any turbulence. Oh, God, please. And I've never seen some people pray more than when they got on that plane. I, I think some of y'all would be the same in that boat. Amen? These guys are afraid. And amid the chaos, they go to Jesus and they tell him, are you not afraid? Don't, don't you care that we might die? We are afraid. Don't you care that we're going to die? They bring their panic their anguish, their frustration to Jesus. Their emotions are raw, they're intense, but church, they bring it to him. This is a revelation to some of us here because some of us, we haven't been acquainted with our feelings since maybe, you know what, the 2008 crash. Some of us, you know, Y2K, that's the last time we allowed ourselves to feel our emotions. Some of y'all, you know, I don't know when, pick a date. But you, you, you do not want to look at your emotions. You don't want to look at your feelings. You don't want to give it any power, any light, any, any from it. How many of y'all have ever seen a surfer surfing waves? I, you don't have to know how to do it, but have you seen it on TV or online? See, a surfer has to understand the current. They, they, they take a look at the fact that that current's going to lead them on a journey. That current has power, and they have to be able to flow with it. They can't just say, I want to be a surfer. I want to go from here to there. I want to have this thrill, but I am not going to respect and understand the current that's underneath me. Friends, we've got to look at the current that's inside. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, become like little babies in public and have a meltdown or have a praise celebration party everywhere and we can never get to our destinations or do what we need to do. We need to be extremely evocative and emotive. No, I'm just saying that we need to respect what's underneath. You need to acknowledge it first and foremost. Some of us, we never acknowledge our feelings, and we are being tossed by the ocean currents of life. At work, you don't recognize your emotions, and so you're, you're, you're creating a wake of devastation all throughout the people and the relationships around you because you're not giving air and understanding to your feelings and emotions. And guys, I'm not asking you, especially the men, to, to become a weeping, you know, softy in front of everybody and wear your heart on your sleeve. You need to do that with certain people. But you need to address and plumb, search, seek out. David said, Lord, search me and know me. We need to look inward and become aware at the reality of our feelings. You can't just ignore them. You have to respect the current. Pete Cazero, an emotionally healthy discipleship, he wrote this. He said this, that um, anger, depression, the fears of our lives often function as the check oil light to slow us down and inform us that there is something not right on the inside of our engine that we need our lives to be dealt with. Our emotions, our feelings, check oil light. How many of y'all drive, please don't answer this question, but I, I know some people that they see the check engine light come up on the dash or the oil light on their dash and they're like, oh, it's just another blinking light. See you later. And pretty soon the car says, see you later. 
You got to spend thousands and thousands of getting a, a new car. We can't ignore the reality of, you know, some people look at this and say to the disciples, man, you guys are just bozos. You guys coming to Jesus afraid? What, what, what are you doing? You shouldn't be afraid like that. Look, look we need to step up and acknowledge. We're going to get into that in just a second. But what can you do practically? All right. How about we, if we want to elevate our game, when it comes to our emotional intelligence and self-awareness, how about we build into our lives some emotional checks? Can we have some moments and some times when we regularly check in with our emotions? I'm not saying that you become a softie, like I said, but you go and you actually take a few minutes, okay? You don't have to take a day. You don't have to take an entire retreat and sabbatical, but can you take a few minutes before you go to sleep or when you get up in the morning in your prayer time and just ask real questions? Maybe take a journal and start writing it down. Spew what's in here and not in here and put it on paper. Look at it and say, whoa, I'm feeling this. You know, is this really what's going on? And why am I so frustrated? Why am I so disconnected, disengaged? Why am I feeling so afraid? What's going, like, give some room for you to learn and realize you're human. You've got feelings. You've got emotions. The world needs you to function properly. Your family needs you to give air to those emotions. Maybe not in front of them, but go work that out and come back healthy. Somebody resonating with this this morning? Embrace vulnerability. Admit your feelings, even the difficult ones. If you can't talk to anybody, go talk to God in prayer. Look at the Psalms. It's an entire section of Scripture, 150 songs, Psalms, that is somebody saying, God, I don't like what I'm feeling. God, I'm excited about what I'm feeling. God, this is the emotion I've got today. I'm frustrated. Break the teeth of my enemy, Lord. You can bring that to God, you know. We have to acknowledge, number one. All right, I've taken way too long on that. Uh, we need to step up our game because not only do we acknowledge our emotions, our feelings, but we can't hand over the compass to our feelings. It's one thing to acknowledge. It's another thing to say, you set the compass and you become the thermostat. You become the rudder that leads my life. See, they show up to Jesus and they say, look, look at this. Teacher, don't you care we, if we drown? What have they done in essence? Of all the questions, of all the things to bring to Jesus, in all the ways to approach Jesus, this is how they decide to do it. Don't you care? Let's be honest, guys. How many of y'all have prayed these prayers? You know, we're going through a very hard time in our lives and we say, God, don't you know that I'm suffering here? Like, God, can't you see that I'm in pain? Like, God, don't you care about me? When you just let, let me go? What, did you go on vacation? <laughs> Come on. Of all the questions, see, they, they, they say, my feelings, yes, I've acknowledged them, but feelings you guys can go have at it. You know what? They showed up with fear and with panic with Jesus, and they started questioning his character. It's okay for us to bring our frustrations to God, but it's never okay for us to question his character. We come to him saying, Lord, this is what I have going on. This is what I see. I don't see it from your vantage point. Please help me understand. 
please help me, Lord. We have to uh, take control. Jesus saw these disciples throwing away logic, ignoring what they have seen, all that they have observed, and they show up. Jesus, don't you care if we die? Have they forgotten why, okay, they're in the storm in the first place? Let's go back. Some of us, we, we go through life and we're going through difficulties and challenges and we, we like, you know what? My life is so difficult, so terrible. Um, have you found that sometimes the struggles in your life are turned up a notch and they get a little hotter, a little more intense when you're actually living in obedience? See, they are experiencing a storm because they're acting in obedience, they were actually following after what God asked them to do. Let's go to the other side. And now they are met with a storm. If, if you're being obedient to what God has called you to do and be, then you need to understand that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. He that invited you to take a step of faith and be obedient unto his voice, that he's got you. So, you know what, we, we're not going to just face challenges because we're living outside of God. Get that out of your mind. Your life is not going to be a bed of roses because you know Jesus and follow him, amen? But because they were being obedient, they come upon this storm. If they had decided to stay, they wouldn't have mattered to them. The storm could have been there and be like, oh, wow, let's take a selfie and, and look at that beautiful thundering, thunder and lightning crackling behind us. They are experiencing what Jesus intended for them because he needed to get to the other side and he wanted to teach them some things. The Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 2, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Some of you need to look at the storms in your life and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me and speak to me here? God, I was faithful to follow after you, and I am now looking for what you want to speak to me. God, I am searching what you want to do in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in the midst of this storm, because you invited me to trust you, to serve you, to be faithful and obedient to your call, to go into this career path, to, Lord God, minister to this person, Lord, to step out of my comfort zone and speak life into this family member's situation. And now they're meeting me with gruff and with pushback and hostility. God, what do you want to bring into my life here? Amen. These guys make the worst, worst decision. It's uh, Wayne Cordero in this book called Leading on Empty. He says this. He's a pastor. He lives in Hawaii, beautiful place. He's a surfer as well. He talks about a story when he was surfing. He goes um, and he's just, you know, seeing the swells come in and out. And then all of a sudden he decides he sees this wave coming and he gets on it. He starts to paddle and he starts to get ready and he starts to let the current take him. But as soon as he stands up and he's on it, he realizes that none of the other surfers are actually following suit. He realizes that everybody else has stayed behind. They said, uh-uh, not this one. But it's too late now. He's in it. And the current has taken him. And he realizes the mistake of his decision when he comes to and regains consciousness after he wakes up from hitting the shore in a very terrible way because he was way too close and that wave was way too big. Church, we need to recognize the waves. And not every wave that we're on, we need to ride. Not every emotion that comes to our hearts needs to be articulated out of our lips. Hello. 
Not every single wave is a wave you need to get on. You need to have some discernment to know, okay, I need to acknowledge this, but I'm going to air this one out in the privacy of my prayer closet with Jesus. I need to feel this and acknowledge this anger and frustration, but I am not going to dishonor my spouse who is before me. I'm going to take this to my accountability partner, and he's going to pray with me. She's going to pray with me, and we're going to work this thing out. You don't ride every wave. You got to let wisdom take the compass. Acknowledge that your emotions and your feelings, they are not supposed to be emotional vomit that you just throw up on everybody. You need to be prepared. You need to, you know, search. You need to do some work. So, why, why? Jesus, you don't care that we die? Jesus, I'm just flabbergasted at this question. Jesus, don't you care if we die? Like, hello, guys. Like, let me rub off my eyes because I just woke up. I'm a little tired. But don't you all realize the reason I'm on this boat is because I care? Don't you guys realize that the reason I stepped down from heaven and I'm here among you, God, Emmanuel, is because I care? Don't you realize that what you're feeling around you in terms of my presence is because I care? They had the wrong question, and they were led in the wrong way. So are, are you following me? Say amen. amen. And one last thing on this, just, just to make it very clear, okay? If you guys are tracking with me, okay, give me a mighty amen. amen. All right, I, I feel like, you know, God wants us to really press into this thing because we need to let go of some excuses, all right? Some of us, we often hear it contrasted that the opposite of faith is what? Is fear. Doubt. Okay, the opposite. Okay, all right, and I get it. And so sometimes we, we go into this, you know, tirade where we knock everything that is not 100% ironclad, moved and operated and lived out and experienced in faith. And if we at all falter or stumble or if we at all have a moment where we are not speaking everything faith-filled, then you know what, we're either in sin or we don't believe God and we're, being you know, we're to be rejected. We need to wash away from those people because those people are going to catch on me. And, you know, how many of y'all have ever got this sense from people that we have to be 100% all the time, every moment, every day, every hour, we can never be human, hello? But let me, let me just ask you this one question. Can you all remember the scene when Jesus, before the Passion Week, he was in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane? What happened there? The disciples were sleeping, sure. But what was Jesus doing? He was praying. Come on, really loud. What was he doing? He was praying. He was sweating. He was feeling anguish. He was feeling sorrow. He was in a turmoil within his soul because he knew what was in front of him and what was going to happen to him. He knew the path that he needed to take, the path, the reason why he came. Do you care that we die? Yes, I care so much that I know what I'm going to have to face. It's going to be painful. I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. There's all these things. God, can you let this cup pass from me? Is Jesus being unfaithful? 
Is Jesus being, you know, a man exemplifying doubt and disbelief? No, he's being fully human in that moment. And if Jesus could cry and be in anguish, then you and I say, thank you, God, that I can be emotional. I can be vulnerable. I can have my moment of doubt. I can have my moment of insecurity. And I can bring that to you. If not, why would he tell the disciples, guys, pray with me? And these guys, all right, talk about people getting mad at people falling asleep. They're mad at Jesus for sleeping on the boat, but here they are sleeping. And he wakes them up multiple times. All right, I've taken way too long. But here's the deal. If we're simply supposed to have faith and never account or acknowledge the challenges of life, then you know what? You are completely building a barrier between the person who's not a Christian and yourself. Because the people that are out there are looking for real people. They're looking for people who are hurting just like them, but who have found hope. When you bring this invite to somebody, they don't want you to be perfect and put together and come to a museum for saints. They want to find out where is the hospital for sinners? Where is the place where I can go and be changed? Where is the place that I can come and bring the pain of my life, the sorrow of my life, and encounter joy? Where can I find people that can give me an upgrade and an uplift instead of just showing me how much I do not measure up? Hello. We need to acknowledge our emotions, but we need to subject them to Jesus and allow him to take control. All right, let's move on. What else do we see? Look at verse 38. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he uh, actually shows up and starts talking to them. It tells us immediately what he does is he rebukes the wind. Silence, be still. And the wind stopped. And there was great calm immediately. Some of us, we want to elevate our game and become better at relationships and see God give us favor with man, not just with himself. We need to start cultivating some compassion. Emotional intelligence deals with cultivating empathy, cultivating compassion. See, when a lifeguard meets a person who's just distressed in the water, how many of you have seen in the midst of that you know, the waves or in that pool as the person is flailing and going about drinking water and, and, and making a spectacle. How many of you have seen the lifeguard go off on a discourse as to how the person fell into the water? Anybody? How many of you guys have seen the lifeguard in the moment that somebody is drowning start explaining the, the, the dynamics of buoyancy to those who are there? How many of you, you know, uh, see him putting on his coach hat in that moment and say, all right, this is how you swim, guys. You got to go, you know, pulls and kicks. You know, we did um, swim school with my son. Pulls and kicks, pulls and kicks. This is what, anybody ever see that? What does the lifeguard do when he finds somebody in distress in the water? He goes in empathy and compassion and he offers support. See, some of us, we're looking at people around us that have grievances with us or are in problems and pains, and we're trying to clean them up before we support them and help them. We're trying to explain why they got, like, they don't need to know how they made a mess of their lives. They probably already figured that out. What they need is you to show up with love and compassion and help them out in that moment. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, wind, be still. Waves, quiet. Done. He doesn't start going, oh, you, you guys, really? Like, come on, why'd you wake me up? Are you serious? Y'all should have done this yourself. Well, come on, guys. 
He's going to speak to them. But what does he do first? He deals with the situation. We need to have emotional intelligence and self-awareness to not try to fix the problems around us and the people around us, but we need to get into action and diffuse the circumstance. God wants us to move in a way that we bring life into situations as opposed to complexities and more questions. How many of you all have ever, you know, encountered somebody that you asked them a question to explain something to you and you walked away more confused than you walked away with clarity? When it comes to the matter of relationships, at work, at home, with your kids, we need to meet people with compassion. It's not like, let me bring you my judgment and, and start tearing you apart and why this is going. Can I just meet you where your need is and help you? And then hopefully, I can get to the next part. Address the circumstance. Jesus stepped in and he started to share with them by meeting them where they were validating their feelings and their emotions, addressing their issues, and then he goes on further. How do you do this in your life? Can you just commit to becoming an active listener? Instead of you having all the answers ready to give that person, some people just need you to listen to them. You know, especially when you're dealing with uh, gentlemen, uh, the opposite sex, okay? There's this approach that you could use Okay, it's called the mirror and bucket approach. All right, so so when they when they um start speaking to you, guys, this is freebie. Okay, as the ladies are speaking to you, as your spouse is giving you the the breakdown of their day, you know they're not asking you to solve their problem. They just want you to be there and present. <laughs> they just want you to hear them. So this is what you do. Uh, after they've spoken like a few things, you put up the mirror and say, "Oh, so I've heard you say this. This is what you were saying." Uh, oh, so that hurt you when they said this, huh? Okay. And then once you've done that, you put the mirror down and you take the bucket again. And you say, okay, I'm just receiving. All right, what else? And you just listen. And then by the end of bucket, mirror, bucket, mirror, bucket, mirror, they walk away and say, honey, thanks for listening to me. I'm just, I just feel so much better. You didn't offer one single thing of solution. And hey, guys, that's okay. That's all right. I know our minds are wired to try to find a solution and, and solve a problem, but sometimes they just want us to hear it. And I know that, like, they go from A to Z to B to Q to, you know, and we go A, B, C, D. Just, just mirror, bucket, mirror, bucket, mirror, bucket, okay? That, that's it. We got it? I just saved you guys a whole bunch of marital counseling. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Become an active listener. Show an act of compassion, of kindness. Go ahead and use empathetic language. Like, look at the words that you're saying. How are you responding to people when they show up? When they, you know, blow up in the office or they mistreat you or they do something that's not right, how are you engaging them? Is it words that just tear them down and show them how they're wrong and, and how they're bad and how they're never going to amount to anything? Um, I, I, I've, I'm not going to share this. There's, there's, a, there's a person who's going to give a testimony pretty soon in Jesus' mighty name. Um, and uh, it's the bus driver that took us to the, to the airport in New York for the DR trip. I don't want to steal his thunder. But uh, it's important that we utilize empathetic language when we're moving on people and helping people and talking to people. Why? Because otherwise, you're already drawing a barrier before you even get there. I was reading a book called um, Heretics to Heroes. This man by the name of Courtney Dial, man, his, his parents, man, really did a number on his name. 
they called this man Courtney. I don't know about you, but you know, in, in America, uh, Courtney is typically a female name, right? So ladies usually have that name. But he has a Native American descent, and in their language of their people, it means something very endearing. Uh, and so it's, it's somebody with resilience, and, and I forget the, all the details, but so his name is Courtney. This man um, gets hired at a new job. He's a safety and compliance officer. He shows up after talking to the boss. The boss says, after you leave my, my office, I want you to go over to the union representative's office. I want you to go to the union member's office. In this company, we hire employees, but we also utilize a union. I want you to go into their office and introduce yourself. Because in that office, there's some of the best workers, the hardest workers, the most intelligent men, the most you know, capable people. They will bless your life and encourage you. So he gets out and he goes. When he shows up and he's wearing his suit and tie, he's all dressed up nice, he shows up, he immediately notices how out of place he is. And in that place, there's a whole bunch of blue-collar workers that are rough and tough, that they don't have the best vernacular and vocabulary. Every other word out of their mouth is an explicitive. And uh, you know, uh, it's not the type of things you want your kids to be around. And the minute he shows up, he's like, who the, who the heck are you? All right, and heck was not the word he used. He said, oh, my name is Courtney. And they're like, Courtney, oh my gosh, your parents must have hated you. And they started ragging on. So he explains, well, I'm a Native American. Oh, you're, you're, you're one of those red folks or something like that. They, they just started making a whole bunch of negative, derogatory comments at him, poking fun at him and saying, what the heck are you doing here and all that other stuff. And bottom line, let me make the story short. After they go through their tirade and they jostle the guy, they say, hey, man, you've got, you've got some courage stepping across that door and coming here, especially with a name like that. But you know what? We appreciate you because you're the second company person that has ever stepped foot in this office, and the other person was your boss, and we love him. And so, Courtney, whatever you need, let us know. Whatever you want to do, Whatever you need us to help you with, let us know. We got you. And so this man taking the time to be empathetic, to go into the world of somebody else that he's completely outside of, he got in good and he built rapport and favor with them. And they became his greatest champions and they enacted some great changes in that company that saved lots of lives and changed the compliance standards all because one person decided to have empathy on someone that was different from him. Are you getting the message, church? Amen. All right, I got more, but let me just give you one last one. We'll park it here. Maybe we do a part two some other time. Jesus turns to them, and he says, why are you guys so afraid? Have you still no faith? Worship team, y'all can come back up. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Remember, this is after he calms the storm, after he meets them in their emotions and feelings. Now he goes and he speaks life into them. The challenge invited them to self-reflection. See, the storms of our lives is going to invite us into a journey and into a process. And we have to be willing to step into the invitation and to answer the call. Jesus, what is it that you're trying to teach me in this moment? And Jesus engaged his disciples. 
You know, picture a gardener as he's tending his garden and plants. He knows exactly what each plant needs and what, you know, he needs to do in terms of water and and nourishment and, and soil and all those different things in order to care for that plant to thrive. Church, if we're going to elevate our game, yes, we need to acknowledge our emotions. We need to not let them drive the car and give them the compass. We need to develop some compassion, but we also need to tune our ears for feedback. We need feedback. Guys, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The correction that comes is only possible because Jesus has spent the time in building relationship. Catch this, watch this. Where there is no relationship and you bring correction, you breed rebellion. Let me say it this other way. Correction without relationship breeds rebellion. We need to develop rapport with people, develop connections with people, so that we have an opportunity to speak into their lives. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that faithful are the wounds of a friend, that we are not to lean on our own understanding but acknowledge all our ways to him, and he'll direct our path. Jesus needs to be able to first and foremost be the one that gives us some feedback. Hey, son, hey, daughter, you're going off track here. Hey, you've got these emotions and you've got these things going on in your life. You're not, you're not doing so well. You need a course correct over here. Disciples, I've been with you all for a while. What's up, guys? Y'all need to, hey, I took the storm. It's good. You guys are safe. You're good. You're happy now. All right, let's talk. You could have done this a little bit better. That's why Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, that you are to rebuke and reprove and do so in love. We're supposed to bring challenge and criticism to people. The most unloving thing that we do sometimes is keep our lips shut. When I'm going off track, my wife, what I need from her is to give me a swift kick in the pants so that I can get back on track. And if that comes through her words, that's what I need. If it comes through physical, do it, honey, please. But we need to bring feedback to people and some of us have become so desensitized we just go and take everyone's criticism and we become defensive we say no that's not for me i don't receive that word that you're talking about that guy or that girl that's not me but jesus calls us to relationship but then he calls us to get better and i don't know about you i make a lot of mistakes And I'm constantly realizing, man, I need more of you, Jesus, and less of me. I need to have my accountability partners. Y'all can start playing. Um, You know, I need to have some accountability partners. And I check in with them on on a weekly basis. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm feeling this, and I'm going through this, or I had this thought. And you know what? I, I met this situation. And honestly, hey, I talk about you guys. But I also pray for you guys. And I'm like, help me how to understand the situation a little bit better that I, and these are all pastors, by the way. How could I have done this better? Man, I said this, and they always go like this. They say this to me. Um, I know our group is not about giving advice, but would you like some in this moment? And I say, please, please. Because I don't have all the answers. If you've arrived at a place where you think you know it all, then go read Moses' story. He thought he knew everything. 
and he took matters into his own hands, someone died. He had to flee. He became a fugitive. He lost many years of his life. God redeemed it and he prepared him. He learned to have some feedback. And then he realized how much he didn't know when God finally called him to go back and do what he was called to do. We need feedback. We need to learn and grow. Stand to your feet. When Jesus spoke to them, he corrected them. It tells us that they were in fear. Who is this that even the winds and the waves listen to him? Church, there's change possible to us. If you read, you know, I don't have time, but if you go and read, when they show up to Jesus sleeping on the boat, they are terrified. When Jesus replies to them, he says, why are you afraid? The word afraid in the Greek is a word that has a meaning of cowardice. There is a fear that's gripping them, that's making them unable to continue in moving forward in faith. It's a word that's making them cowardly. But then when you read after Jesus has spoken to the waves, the storms have calmed, and then he teaches them and challenges them to rise up in their faith. You see it, the word fear one more time, but it's not the same Greek word. It's a different word. And now the meaning is of meaning of respect and awe. See, I want you to understand church that change is possible. You have to believe for change. If you have had some broken relationships and some terrible circumstances at your work, you need to first and foremost believe that this can change. I'm using one word to define my situation. I will be using a whole new word to define it. My circumstance might, might be defined this way, but it will be redefined once Jesus has stepped into the circumstance and I have grown and I have learned and I have improved change is possible the first thing that you need to know and understand if you're going to improve your relationships if you're going to thrive at work if you're going to become a person of leadership and influence if you're going to elevate your game as a believer because every person is a leader if you're called to the kingdom you're called to lead if you're part of his church you are called to be a person of influence in your community she said that the worship pastor prayed for her. It wasn't the pastor. He was on vacation. The worship leader prayed for her and she was healed by God's grace. We're all supposed to be people of influence stepping in and having the ability, the compassion, the, the emotional intelligence to navigate the waters of life in that circumstance and speak life into the situations. So we need to know that change is possible. We need to seek it. Without first coming to know Jesus Christ the one who stepped into the boat for the reason of saving humanity who stepped out of heaven and into earth you need to first come to know him so let's close our eyes here and I want to make an invitation if there is anybody here that you've been navigating the waters of life all alone and all you have is fear all you have is worry all you have is anxiety You've never allowed Jesus to step onto your boat. You've never said, Lord, I want to follow you. Then you need to change that today first and foremost.
doesn't matter if you're the most emotionally intelligent person in the world if you got Jesus uh, you know outside of your boat and you don't know him then all of your intelligence will amount to nothing because there's coming a day when all of us will stand before God and have to give an account of our lives there is appointed once for man to live and then judgment we die once and then judgment and in that day, it doesn't matter if we're intellectually smart, emotionally, you know, the best IQ or EQ. It doesn't matter. What matters is do we know Jesus? Do we follow him? If you need to confess sins before God today and say, Lord, I need you to step into my life. I need to step into your boat. I need to follow you. I want you to help change my life and, and, and clean me of all my sins and issues. Then today is your day. I want you to just say, Lord forgive me heal me of my sins lead me help me follow you trust you live for you be the king of my life set the compass for my destiny direct me in your ways your precious name amen and now for the rest of us here I don't know where you stand but if you need to if this message was for you and you need to submit some things before the Lord then I invite you to take a moment before you leave this place and come lay some things down at the altar this is a place where we come and we die we come and we surrender we come and we let go of some baggage can God touch you right there? Yes, he can. But there's something about when Jesus was in the midst of another storm and the disciples were there, Jesus was walking on the water and he told Peter, come. Because Peter said, hey, if it's you, Lord, invite me. I'm coming. And he walked above the waves. There's something about us getting out of the boat, taking a step of faith, changing our position, becoming vulnerable. If you're not gonna be able to be vulnerable, just with the simple fact that you got to lay something down before Jesus. Good luck in trying to just be vulnerable enough to admit that you got some emotional things when you're off on your own. It's not about who's watching you right now. It's about you getting right with God and saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm coming here, not questioning your character, but I'm coming here saying, Lord, help. If I could rewrite the scripture, I would rewrite it this way. When they were in fear, they just cried out to Jesus and woke him up. Help us, Lord. We need your power in this moment. We need your strength in this hour. We need you to quiet this storm. We want to see you move incredible ways again because you've been so faithful. Lord, help us. That's it. Lord, I pray that you would touch every heart in this place. That, God, you've awakened some things inside of people this morning. Lord, I pray that you would go beyond my words, as faulty as they may be. Lord, God, you know the intentions and the desires of my heart and what I felt that you were pouring upon me, Lord, God, to share with your church. 
But God, I thank you that you are, Lord Jesus, elevating games here. You're elevating lives. You're, Lord God, taking people up levels and taking people up notches. Father, that you are bringing hope and freedom and, Lord God, ability and understanding into individuals. Right now, Father, as people are coming, as people are spending time with you, Lord, at the altar, as they are, Lord God, surrendering their hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would be faithful to, Lord, immediately calm the storms in their lives. Immediately, Lord God, bring them hope where there is hopelessness, where there be, is, Lord God, questions. I pray that you would speak life into every single area, that you would not, Lord God, qualify or quantify, correct and demand judgment, but God, that you would speak first words of empathy and compassion. I thank you, Lord, that there's marriages being renewed because there's spouses in this place right now, God, becoming vulnerable before you with their emotions. I thank you, God, that there is advancement and promotions coming, Lord God, in workplaces and jobs and, Lord God, even within the school setting, Father, opportunities because there are men and women becoming open to feedback today. God, I thank you for all that you're doing, Jesus, to elevate your church in being empathetic to the world around them. Father, I pray that you would move and have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, lift up your hands. Say, Lord, I receive all that you have for me. Forgive me. Lead me help me upgrade in Jesus name amen 